Before we officially start this podcast, I want to remind everyone that the IB Sports Podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified of all new podcasts from the IB Network, including the Backdoor Cover, the RC Report, uh, the new Fantasy Football Podcast with myself and Joe Matz, and then obviously this great podcast, the Team Turnbuckle Wrestling Podcast. Finally, you can follow IB Sports on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We do have a premium membership that allows you to post without being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for the day, receive free gambling picks, and a lot more. We also want to remind everyone about the Team Turnbuckle Twitter page and Facebook group. We would love it if you're listening to this podcast. Um, You need to join the groups and follow us on Twitter. So uh, with that, we have the whole trio together, which is nice because it's been hit or miss here the last couple of weeks. It's good to have the gang back. I am your host, Keith Fleming. With me from the get-go, Ron L. Tinsley. And as I, I said last week in the opening, Ron L., the Hulk Hogan to the Hall and Nash that started this podcast, Sam Howe is also here. Guys, what's going on? Uh, my city, I think, I don't know if it's still on fire, but it is no longer, uh, looking like the apocalypse. It's back to looking like, uh, you know, nice. Um, I am, uh, I also might say that we're, we're, uh, I would say I'm more of the blue world order, but I've also been watching 1997 Raws. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big Stevie Cool and, uh, Hollywood Nova. That was a great group, man. Uh, that's what a mid-card group is all about, in my opinion. You know, they did just enough. They were entertaining. Uh, you knew they weren't going to do anything, you know, too big, but at the same time, they were going to be involved. Um, it's been a really good week of wrestling, which doing a podcast like this where you have to follow four different shows, there's a lot of weeks that I'm not going to lie. I come here, I won't say dreading, but just knowing that, uh, you know, we're going to bitch about a lot of stuff. There's actually a lot of positive stuff to talk about this week, which is really nice. So let's get right into it with off the top rope. No, go ahead. We got to let Ron L. We got to let Ron L. do his, his intro. Oh, I'm sorry, Ron L. Go ahead, buddy. <laughs> hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> How you guys doing, man? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm glad that we finally got us all back together because I, I very much enjoy when we all get to bounce off of each other. So uh, let's get to work. Absolutely. So Jeff Hardy re-signed with the WWE, which this is a little surprising. And the main reason I want to talk about this is I would be willing to bet Jeff Hardy uh, had some uh, power in this negotiation because with his brother being in AEW, he's obviously the bigger attraction. They could either, if he did go to AEW, use him, you know, as the Hardy boys and, and get that tag team going. Obviously that's a big draw. Hardy himself has been a world champion in several promotions, so that would be a big get. Um, are you surprised at all, and we'll start with Ron L, that he did re-sign with WWE? I mean, assuming they probably just backed up the, you know, the bank truck to his house, though. Uh, you figure they had to, especially in light of uh, how successful that Matt's been uh, over in AEW. You know? So I figured that this was one of those things that let's keep uh, the one party that we do have uh, here and happy. So that does kind of explain his uh, recent rise in Intercontinental Championship run. Um, I also heard something about um, 
the music aspect that he'll be able to go back to using his original solo music that he wants to get away from using the Hardy Boys name that he said that's strictly for both my brother and I. So yeah, uh, no surprise. I'm actually pretty happy, all things considered. Sam? Uh, a little surprised, actually. Um, you know, I, I'm not shocked, but surprised. Uh, he, I, I, I would assume that there was money involved. Um, I, the, the one thing that surprised me, you know, he's 43. Um, he is, I, I was a little surprised that he didn't want to, uh, you know, the, the lighter schedule. You know, I, but I could also see, you know, if he's 43, these contracts are usually three years. I could see him, you know, winding down and maybe, you know, being done in three years and there's some sort of Hall of Fame thing. I could be absolutely wrong. He could be like, I want to wrestle until my body, like, stops working. But, yeah, I think that there's, you know, I, I, I feel like there's the more security and I think more money probably for, like you guys said, not shocked, a little surprised. I can't help but think of uh, Mick Foley when I think of Hardy. And I've been watching a lot of him on the WWE Network and documentaries. And, and like his favorite joke ever is he looks back at his old, you know, stunts that he used to do. And they're all on a scale of, you know, is it going to hurt in the morning to, is there a chance I could like die or suffer an injury that, you know, there's really no coming back from Hardy like Foley took a lot of like just crazy bumps over his career. So I hope that if this is not it, he at least really changes, uh, you know, his, his kind of his work rate and stuff moving forward because I worry about that, you know, with somebody like him who's taken, because Foley talks about all the time that it just, his body just gave up on him. Like eventually he just got to the point where he had wrote all those checks, you know, out with with his body over the years. And finally he just couldn't cash anymore. You know, it just, he was out of funds because he had done so much in so many crazy spots. And Hardy is in a lot of ways, another guy that's kind of had that kind of career. I know it's not to the extreme of Foley, but he's, He's done some crazy stuff, probably as much as anybody in the last 20 years, uh, not named Mick Foley. And then the other thing I just wonder with the day-to-day schedule is with him being a recovering addict, I know a lot of times it's better for them to stay busy than not. Mm -hmm. And maybe that schedule and being on the road makes him feel more comfortable in his sobriety. And obviously, you know, I'm all for whatever he thinks is going to help him stay sober and clean. And, you know, if it's doing something he loves, even better. Weirdly, I think my understanding is, excuse me, structurally his body is healthier than Matt's. Wow. Like Matt has some sort of spinal fusion thing. Like there's something with his spine that like he like if you watch Matt Hardy walk, you oh, can yeah, tell yeah. that Yeah. It's like the old man walk. <laughs> yeah. Which is crazy to me. Yeah, no, that that is pretty amazing. And you know, Sam, I know one of the things you like to always say is, you know, us being guys who's never taken a bump, you know, um, this is one of those instances where it's like, how crazy is it that Jets Hardy is holding up better than Matt, especially considering the numerous swantons off of the ladder, you name it, what size. So that's just fantastic. But, you know, um, 
Not to mention, he's put a lot of miles off the uh, road, too, if you know what I mean. With the life that he's had, he's had miles both in the ring and out of the ring put on his Didn't he have a motorbike accident? He's had several, uh, I think, pretty bad. He had a car wreck, I know for a fact. I think he had a motorcycle wreck. Uh, He's he's had some, uh, definitely some incidents, to say the least. But the other thing I want to talk about on Off the Top, and it's two different reports that came out, and it's involving the same thing, because I think we're all... Or at least if you're not on board with the big dog, Roman Reigns, being back, uh, what did he call – what did Paul Heyman call him this week? The Samoan King? <laughs> He's tribal, the, tribal Chief. Tribal Chief, excuse me. The Tribal Chief being back. Uh, there's signs that WWE is very happy he's back in several ways. The first is the fact that they had the highest ratings for SmackDown since post-WrestleMania this week. Obviously, the show revolved around Reigns a lot. Uh, you got to remember that the SmackDown after WrestleMania, like the Raw, is one of the more must-see weekly episodes that you have every year because obviously people want to see what happens after the fallout from WrestleMania. So already it's helping the business on that side. And then the other report was really interesting that it said morale is really up in the WWE locker room. And they say it's twofold and it makes sense. One is obviously... They are no longer in the performance center. It apparently was really tight and cramped in the back. So with the Thunderdome and the Amway Center, they have a lot more room. And that's, you know, obviously making people comfortable in 2020, not being kind of, you know, on top of each other when there's a pandemic. And obviously you're working with social distance, all that stuff, not to mention just egos and everything else. I'm sure people are, you know, happy to kind of have their space back. But the other big part of that report was they're saying a huge part of the boost in morale is the fact that Roman Reigns is back and that he has truly taken over that Undertaker role where not only is he the leader in the, you know, the locker room to where the guys feel like we can go to Roman Reigns and tell him something and he's really going to listen to it and then take it to Vince or creative or whoever and push for it if he believes it's a true concern for the overall locker room but the fact that he actually has the pull because of who he is to do something about it, to where if he's going to Vince, there's a good chance that they're going to see a change in that if he's really pushing for something that is coming from the locker room. Sam, is it, I mean, at all surprising with all the stuff that people talk about Roman Reigns, that he's having this kind of effect, not only (coughs) – in their, you know, financial numbers with the ratings and, and, you know, just getting the buzz kind of back going, but also backstage for, you know, kind of being that locker room leader. I think that it's, I, no, uh, <laughs> um, I think that the, that having Roman as the, the guy, you know, first of all, I think that it, as a heel, he's actually giving up some money. And I think that there's a sense of sacrifice, you know, Punk talked about that where turning heel cost him, you know, he was the number one merch seller. And I don't know if Roman has the same thing, but especially if Roman pushed for that, that's a guy who's leaving money on the table. I also think that from a rating standpoint, there is, it's not obviously the same impact as Hogan turning heel or even Cena. But I think that there's a curiosity factor, like, oh, Roman Reigns is a bad guy now. And SmackDown has been an all around solid show outside of what I would put as an A-plus main event, that it makes sense that when you do a big, you know, flashy thing like that, if you follow it up and make it good, people will stick around. 
Yeah, and I think um, to the point that you were making about uh, being the big, kind of the big guy like The Undertaker, knowing that uh, Reigns definitely has an audience with Vince uh, is definitely going to serve better. And knowing that he's likely going to be quite open to people when they hear their grievances and make sure that you know, the appropriate steps uh, are taken, whether it be going to creative, uh, maybe a backstage beef or something of the case. Um, they're sure that they can go to him uh, being the, you know, guy he is, you know, when we're talking about his uh, everyday character, that he's going to be fair and, and listen and, you know, make sure people are taken care of just so that, you know, makes it makes for a better work environment, makes for a better product. And, you know, proof is in the ratings. And he's also coming back after, you know, taking time off because of his family, his health. And I think that that's got to show, you know, gain some respect from the locker room because he's going to do what he thinks is right. And when that person is your locker room leader, I think you feel more safe going to him if, you know, maybe you're going to do something that's unpopular. You have an opinion that's unpopular and you can go to him and just as a man, he's, you know, probably going to be a little bit more understanding and more likely to have your back, you know, taking that to Vince or whoever it may be. While we're on the subject of Roman, because I don't know if he's going to be in any of the superlatives this week, I just want to, again, I, I don't know if this is mostly Roman's ideas, if this is creative, if this is Paul Heyman's, but there's just so many things that I could, I could talk about this for days. I love the fact that Paul Heyman almost seems scared of Roman Reigns. I don't know if you notice, he does not stand beside him or in front of him like he did in many Brock Lesnar promos when he was almost Lesnar's hype man, you know, like the, the Don King, if you will. He's more of just like, and I think he even said this, I thought I was done with this. And Roman said, I wasn't done. So he's basically saying that this guy told me, I have to come back and do this. Like this is, and it kind of gives us position. And then it was a very subtle moment. But in the main event to have, you know, Jey Uso just, you know, take on a handicap, do all this amazing work. And then for Roman Reigns music to hit, him come down there and just give a head nod to Uso like, okay, the lion of WWE is here. You've done well. Move to the side. I get mine first, and then you can kind of have my scraps. And the way Uso just moved to the side just from the head nod, I thought that was brilliant. I don't know if that was Reigns. I don't, you know, I don't know if that was something Creative Planet or what, but it was one of the cooler things for Hill I'd seen because they've been giving off this, like, he's, you know, truly the top dog, not to, you know, use the Michael Cole analogy, but he is like, he's the big dog in WWE. And we all know that if the big dog comes for scraps, there's going to be other little dogs around that are going to move to the side. And I love how right now they're playing it that way, where it seems like everybody's afraid. I thought his promo was perfect with Jey Uso, where he said, look, I love you, but when that bell rings, just like when we were little, I'm going to beat your ass. And then I'll go right back to loving you afterwards, but you're going to take a whooping. And I also love how little he is saying. And I've always said this with Reigns. Reigns is at his best when he doesn't say a lot and he just goes out there and is a powerhouse, which is what he is. 
And in these promos, he's not saying much, but it's so effective. The little tweaks in the look where he has the hair up, you know, wearing the t-shirt now instead of the, you know, the camo gear, he's doing very little movements. I don't know if you notice that he stands very still at most points or when he, you know, he comes in, he hits a couple of finishers and then goes, I just think they have absolutely nailed this 110%. And we don't give, you know, WWE enough credit when they get things right. This is a home run angle. And I am so excited to see what happens with him and Jey Uso at this pay-per-view. I'm excited to see what Roman Reigns going forward. But I think they have found the Roman Reigns that sort of they should have had from the beginning what was more successful when, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. first came and, and everybody loved him. And I just can't wait to see where this goes. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think that a, a lot of what you said was very spot on. Um, with the Paul Heyman thing, you definitely see Paul Heyman showing deference to him rather than saying, rather than with Brock, he's speaking as if he was Brock, whereas he's a hey, tribal leader says, and I do. I'm just here to del- deliver the message. And you're right. Even like when they were, uh, I can't remember if they were when they were entering or they were leaving. Like you can just kind of see Paul hanging to the back a little bit. Whereas with Brock, he would always, you know, more often than not, come out first and like, look at what I am toting with me. Whereas now it's like you can definitely see he's in the secondary angle. I do also agree with that uh, whole big dog thing where it's like that, that head nod was really good. I, I, and I don't know if it's uh, a Heyman thing or whoever, whoever called and made that, that was absolutely perfect. And I love Jeremiah analogy, especially for the video, but um, all in all right now, you're right. Like this whole angle is almost, and I can already hear RC, he's going to take my head for this one. But this is like almost Barry Bonds, like where every time he steps in the box, there's only uh, two, there's only like two results. It's getting smashed a thousand yards or you're just going to let him intentionally pass. I, I thought um, I actually... I mean, I'm obviously just going to agree. I think that it's uh, – some of that is is that, you know, there's the history of Brock and Heyman going back to when Brock first came up. And so I think there's also, like, a, almost a little bit of – I can't describe the, the tone of Heyman's voice, but it's almost like he's pleading, like, you don't – like, no – I'm not the mastermind here. Like, please, please, you don't know what he's gonna do to me. Like, the if if he thinks that I'm telling you that I'm the mastermind, please don't, please don't, please don't apply that. Uh, but I also like that they're sort of inverting Roman's role with the shield, which is that he was the and I, I I'm gonna do the whole branding thing that you know, like the the joke about the big dog and it's boss time and um, the Michael Cole stuff, but that. Roman was the exclamation point of the shield and he's the exclamation point of SmackDown right now. And so, except, I mean, I guess it's easy to forget how long, cause like the shield were heels, but people were cheering them pretty early on. Like they were going out there and just doing boss things. But like, I think they were heels for more of their run than they weren't. And we forget that because they were so amazing. They were just so over. Yeah. 
So we're going to get into the superlatives this week. We'll start with wrestler on the rise. I'm going to go with the guys that ended Monday Night Raw. The Hurt Business. Um, I I got to say, I'm shocked. Uh, I'm shocked that they are not messing this up right now. I love that they added Cedric Alexander, which was you know something we all saw coming from a mile away, but it worked. And just MVP right now, he's probably the MVP of WWE because he has played such a huge role in getting these guys over. Because if you think about it, really none of them are good talkers. Like, no offense to Savage Alexander, he's not a great talker. Benjamin's not a great talker. Bobby Lashley's not a great talker. And he's doing so much talking and such good talking that he's getting all of these guys over. And it was just so unusual. You know, I want to give WWE credit for Roman Reigns being not the cowardly heel, you know, and back to being just the the monster heel, which is what I think they don't do enough of. Well, let's give some credit. And I know it was retribution and, and Ron made a good point before we came on that it's not them turning face. They're actually heels. They just, you know, they're kind of, it's the greater good type deal. And they were being paid for it, by the way. You know, that was set up in the storyline. But just to have them come out to meet retribution head on and to not be scared or worried. I mean, they came out there four on like nine, you know, taking off their jackets, rolling off their sleeves. Like to me, that was a big time moment. And I just hope that they push these guys. I, I said it, you know, what, five months ago, Rono, And I stand by it when they first put MVP and Lashley together, Lashley deserves a world title run. Uh, during this because I think he could make it work. I absolutely still believe that with MVP, with the Hurt Business, this is a stable that has really caught on. I think a lot like the New Day did where they put them together, I think more than anything, just to give the guy something to do. And now they're realizing they struck gold and they're about to really push these guys. And I hope that that's the case. Guys, who are your wrestlers on the rise this week? I'll start with Ron L. Before I get to my wrestler on the ride, I just want to touch on what you had said. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely with the um the hurt business, it's you know, there we saw the Alexander turn coming, but they turned it so well. And you know, for at first, you know, of course we were always excited about the fact that um Lashley now has a mouthpiece which he needed. We didn't think, but at least myself, I did not think that it was going to turn out this good, even though we're still kind of um, in the same uh, feud, because that's kind of this whole feud was built around the U.S. title picture and um, Apollo Crews and so on. But they've drawn this out where they've actually made these guys really important. So I'm really digging um, what happened and what happened with Cedric Alexander and like those guys were giddy coming out the gate to to face retribution. So I absolutely love that. For um, my wrestler on the rise, I went with Nikki Cross this week. Um, Of course, uh, based off of her victory in that fatal four-way, which turned into a three-way. I mean, she ate the sister Abigail uh, to come back to win. Um, you know, I remember when her first uh, title shot came up a couple of months back, I was saying that she's not quite ready, but I'm wondering if this is something that they could possibly use to set up to further um, her and the Alexa Bliss and 
by extension, the theme storyline. So I went with Mickey Cross this week. Sam, what about you? Um, I kind of wanted to touch on both of those um, yeah. before I get to mine. The In terms of the Hurt Business, one thing I like is, is that like Shelton Benjamin and Bobby Lashley, like if you were to like pick two of the shoot, like legit, like toughest, badass guys on the roster, like they're like Benjamin's like a champion wrestler and uh, Lashley is like an MMA badass. So like, I, I like that they leaned into that. Um, I also makes me uh, wonder if Keith Lee's going to win the title for them to feud with them. But uh I do think that it would be good, like, there's a great title picture from Drew McIntyre if they, you know, as a feud. Uh, with Nikki Cross, I actually kind of, like, even if they decided not to, like, I, obviously they have to do something, but, like, having her win the women's title and then sort of Alexa going away to do the Sister Abigail thing kind of works. Like, even if they didn't want to feud them, just have them be like, well, you know, Nikki's the champ and Alexa's gone. Um, you know, is part of like they don't necessarily have to like they they can have them separate without doing a huge story, and you know, sort of the the idea that like Nikki needed Alexa to get to the point where she could win the title, which I think is an interesting story. Um, like her first friend, like was like the story that they did. Um, my wrestler on the rise was Jay Uso, who uh, there's no way he wins the title uh, at Night of Champions. Uh, there was, I think I, I, we're all familiar with the story where Mick Fault, where Cactus Jack was wrestling for the title in WCW. And like, G he was like, yeah, there's no chance that I win. And Arn Anderson was like, that son of a bitch has a heart attack in the ring. You pull him on top of you and he wins. <laughs> like, that's how I feel about Jey Uso. But there's a part of me that's like, maybe, maybe he, like, maybe they have him pull an upset or get a visual pin. And, you know, Roman's, you know, underhandedly wins the title. But he's, they, he, he is, they're doing a great underdog story with him. Where, like, Roman is just being a huge dick to him. And he certainly, like, I, initially I was like, really? Jey Uso is the guy you're going to have him defend the title against first? And now I'm like, oh, dope. Like, that's going to be an awesome match. Like, they've gotten me to buy into it, which is exactly what you want. There's so many ways they can take it to, right? Mm -hmm. Because they can, you could have, you know, him cheat to beat Uso or just obliterate, you know, Jay Uso, or you could have him taunting Jay. You know, I mean, there's just so many different ways depending on how you want to build up Roman. I still think there's a way that, like, he just beats the stew out of Jay Uso, then at the end lets him up, you know, gives him a handshake, says, We're still family. Now you come work for me. Uh, and he somehow still gets into, you know, the Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman family. And next thing you know, eventually the Usos are actually part of the storyline underneath Reigns is, you know, again, the, the leader, the, you know, the big dog. Yeah. I could get behind a story like that. That would, that would actually be pretty awesome. I mean, we've seen the Usos and, you know, hopefully when Jimmy does come back, uh, I could see him just sicking them as his enforcers. Mm -hmm. you know take care of the dirty work so i would like something like that so unfortunately we also have to do the wrestlers on the slide sam why don't you start us off with yours well actually this sort of piggybacks off the last point which is that uh 
it, they certainly shouldn't have a problem beating the SmackDown tag champions, uh, the, uh, Nakamura and Cesaro, who are my wrestlers on the slide, which they, like, I, uh, one of my least favorite WWE, like, they're, like, they have, like, their booking whiteboard that they write in permanent marker is, like, challenger beats champions non-title match. Like, that's one of my least, like, like it, it was a joke on with spandex where like Michael Cole, like X is beaten the champion. And like, you know, what does that give them a title shot? And so like them losing the Lucha house party annoyed me. I don't know why you book them against the street profits, like even slightly. I don't know what the thought process was with that. Um, I don't know who that helps. I don't know. And then to have them like, I was like, Oh, uh, you know, the, they'll just do, you know, there'll be some goofy finish to that. Nope. The, the Profits just beat them. Cool. Like, I, I guess, like, I guess we don't have to worry about that at SmackDown for brand supremacy. Well, that's what I was going to say. Survivor Series is only a few months away, which has became the brand pay-per-view. Don't you think, though, that, that that's probably the reason they did that is, unfortunately, the tag team division is such trash on Raw. And SmackDown, it's actually, it's been pretty good that they felt like, okay, this might be the win the street profits need is to, and I'm not agreeing with it, but I'm saying, I think their reasoning was, well, we need them to have a big win because they haven't really had it. Because if you look at who they feuded with on raw and their time in the championship picture, I mean, guys like, you know, Angel Garza and, you know, Andrade, the Viking Raiders, those guys that they said, well, we'll give them this win and that'll sort of prove that they really are, you know, the up and coming or best tag team in WWE right now. I see that. I think that it's more the problem of the booking on raw where you have like the fact that the Viking Raiders or war Raiders, oh yeah, Viking Raiders Viking <laughs> experience <laughs> uh, is not the, like that should have been like a marquee and they were like, Oh, we're going to do dumb comedy. Uh, is like there are two people who don't do comedy well in my opinion. That's Garth Ennis, uh, who wrote Preacher and the Boys, and the comic books and the WWE. Like I love a lot of the stuff they do. Comedy is not one of them. Um, so I, I think that that is more. I also really hate the like the SmackDown where like suddenly. For no reason, like there's no reason that anybody cares about brand supremacy. Like why? Like you don't get anything, you don't get any advantage. Just like suddenly, like a show that you're arbitrarily on, like you really care about it. It's like, mm. like give me a reason, give me stakes. Right, especially considering that you know the the brand draft happens, I, I believe, biannual. Uh, I'm sorry, not biannually. It happens twice in a year, does it not? Yeah. So yeah. you know no person is ever stuck to a single brand. So that does kind of make zero sense. Um, another thing is, is that, you know, their tag team division, they, they've really just completely dropped the ball. I don't know why. I, don't get me wrong. I have great respect for the Lucha House Party. They're never going to be a tag team that I will consider uh, 
intimidating enough to become and remain champions. I mean, yeah, their their style is great, but quite honestly, when you get them in there against uh, people of larger sizes, heck, even Cesaro dwarfs these guys. So it's not like, you know, you can actually look at this as a tag team of those are two dudes that I would not want to look into a fight with. Also, you know, with Raw dropping the ball and WWE dropping the ball with releasing AOP, which they never got right, I was so upset with the fact that, you know, Precious Paul at the time couldn't, um, you know, do the travel schedule to stay with him because it was like a, a new age Legion of Doom and these two guys were just wreckers, just bruisers. It was beautiful to watch. And the fact that they just let those two guys go and, you know, we could have had an AOP versus Viking Raiders feud, which would have been amazing to watch through those straps. And with the Street Profits right in there on the outside. And, and don't get me wrong, because uh, I absolutely love the Street Profits, but, you know, they haven't given them anything in frame for us to really, you know, say, this is a great title. Who's your wrestler on the slide, Rono? My wrestler on the slide is Braun Strowman. The Universal Champion to main eventing Raw Underground in a month's time. Just ouch. And he, of course, he went in there. And what's really upsetting me about this story right here is the fact that they set it up that he, you know, he goes in there this week. He wrecks through everybody, including the, the one big guy. I, I'm sorry, his name escapes me. Just to set up for their monster guy and it's like, oh no, we're going to do this next week. Wait a minute. Braun Strowman has gone from the Universal Champion not getting a rematch to now calling dudes out and Raw Underground. He beat up Riddick Moss and Dabacato. Thank you. Thank you, but just like, uh, I just I just feel absolutely horrible for Braun that, you know, he's as we used to say, he's gone from sugar to shit. <laughs> I, you know, the one thing I will say is that I, assuming they don't, well, I would be down if they wanted to do something where he comes to Raw and they decide to do a feud where he is feuding with um, Keith Lee to set up a title. You know, if they want to do something to put Keith Lee over. I think having, I'm also a fan of the Haas fight. So like getting to watch Keith Lee and Braun Strowman is something that would be cool to me. Yeah. I, I don't have as much of a problem with Strowman showing up on raw only because I don't know what they're going to have him doing on SmackDown right now. That doesn't look like he's taking a huge step down because he's obviously not going to be in the title picture right now. We know that uh, you're going to either extend his feud with the Fiend, which, I mean, let's be honest, they've been feuding now for three, four months. It looks like the Fiend is moving more towards, like, this Alexa Bliss storyline uh, and whatever surprise he has for this Friday. And now if they have him show up next Monday and he gets beat, uh, you know, I'm going to have a real problem with it because then it doesn't make any sense to me. But if they're sending him over there to dominate – uh, and to be this badass when he doesn't really have anything else to do, I feel like at least that way they're still kind of keeping that monster moniker. They can continue to mess around with this shift in character that he's had since his you know feud with the Fiend, 
And then I would be totally on board for him eventually going back to Monday Night Raw because he would be a big deal on Monday Night Raw to where on SmackDown right now when you have The Fiend, when you have Roman Reigns, he's just, he's going to be the third banana, uh, you know, draw-wise probably and, you know, fan interest, all that stuff. And if he was on Raw, in my opinion, maybe if you want to say with the exception of Rollins and, and Orton, he would probably be the third biggest guy on that roster, if you you know don't want to say Drew McIntyre has already surpassed those guys, and you know Drew's been great; he's a good champion. I just don't know if he's there yet, and I just think he'd be a bigger deal there. Um, my wrestler on the slide is pretty depressing because he was just my wrestler on the rise, I believe, two weeks ago. Alistair Black, I, I was so excited about the heel turn because I thought, okay, they're going to do something with him. There's some direction. We have something. And then he gets beat by Kevin Owens, who was the guy he turned on to turn heel. And that's telling me that they were more worried about having Kevin Owens go over on a heel that turned on him than they were about doing any kind of long-term booking for Aleister Black. I don't like to follow reports too much when it comes to booking decisions and stuff, but there's a lot of people that are saying that now that Paul Heyman is not in control of creative for all, it's really bad for Andrade. It's really bad, bad for Aleister Black. And it's if it's an assumption that somebody's making and not actually facts, it's easy to see where they're getting those assumptions from because if you look at the booking for these two, basically since Heyman has been out of that position, they were booked like big deals up until that point. And since then, their, their parts are getting less and less and their losses are really starting to add up. And... Alistair Black, more than Andrade, to me, is really disappointing just because he has such a unique look. He has a unique character. He's really good in the ring. He has size, which, you know, so it's not going to be the issue like it is with Andrade. He doesn't need to speak a lot, you know, with his character. So that's, you know, not a big deal. The mic skills. And it just looks like he's going to be another in a long line of guys that they had come up to NXT that a lot of people had a lot of hype and hope and stuff for. And, you know, nothing's going to happen. You know, it's funny to me that um, Alistair Black's only two inches taller than Andrade. Is he really? He's only 5'11". Um, he comes across so much taller. It's, that's also build height, so it's possible that he is a shoot 5'11", and uh, Andrade is closer to, a, to my 5'9". Just really more like a five seven five eight, depending on what convenience store and what shoes I'm wearing. Like what convenience store I'm walking into and what shoes I'm wearing. Um, I also just to piggyback on uh, Ronell's a little bit about Braun Strowman. I think he's there to daba for Dabacado to wreck. That's what so worries that, me. Yeah, I think that. So I'm with Ronell on that. Um, the but with Alistair Black, yeah. I mean, he's been like, there's been like a, bu- a bunch of guys who they're like, they're the next Undertaker over the last few years. And I think that he was one of those guys that was pegged for it. And I think he is, I never saw him as a main event player. I always thought that his ceiling was a top of the bottom, bottom of the top guy, like a mid card guy, like US champion. I see champ, you see, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, you know, Still something that they could do with them. It just doesn't look like that that's where uh, they're going with them. Um, Ron, what is your match of the week this week? My match of the week this week, I think uh, there was no way you could really go away from the Hangman page. 
Kazarian match. Um, I had really just enjoyed seeing Hangman back into the saddle as a solo wrestler. Um, him and Kazarian with Kazarian's uh, long history. They really put on a really great and interesting match. They told a really great story, you know, with Omega, and then they had Omega with a little bit of seasoning for that storyline on commentary. I just thought it was just really great seeing a bunch of how those guys went back and forth with the counters and in the end, um, you know, the buckshot lariat came and saved the day. And I liked how in the end, you know, he was just kind of looking for Kenny, knowing that he was there. But in ring was probably the best product that I had saw this week. Sam? Um, this actually might be a clean sweep. I went with Hangman and uh, Kazarian. And full disclosure, because I'm on the West Coast, I generally see what is going to be on as the result. And I watch all the matches, but if, it, if I know it's not a great match, I watch it, you know, probably double speed. Um, you know, I, I uh, but this was one that I watched from beginning to end actually twice between uh, I, last night and then I watched it again this morning just because when I, I was like, was it that good? Because you guys had, had, you know, it had been come up and I was like, did I like it that much? Or, you know, was it really that good? And yeah, I, I'm with Ronell. I thought they told a great story in the ring. I thought that it furthered the Kenny Omega Hangman Page match. I thought it made Hangman like he looked like a star to me. Like he looked like a guy who is he carried himself like a star. Um, like he's like I think he's a guy who really gets his character and he just looked it was a great match. And I, I loved the ending. I thought that it was yeah, I just thought it was a great match. And it was so important to do that because I, I told you I didn't really like the way they had been booking Hangman lately, doubting himself, you know, coming out almost like he looked like he was in tears. Uh, they're still going with whatever the storyline is with Omega. He still kind of had that confused look on his face when he, you know, turned around afterwards and Omega was gone. But, I mean, I just, I am amazed by this guy. Uh, he just moves so well for a guy his size and his move set is really exciting and I've caught crap before, but I think he's going to be the biggest face like champion person that they have uh, as world champion when you get crowds back because he's a, he reminds me a little bit of Seth Rollins, not a, a, you know, an exact move set, but a similar move set to where it just, it's hard to root against him just because he's so exciting to watch and, and the move, you know, sets that he moves and the, the way he connects things and the way he can both, you know, kind of grapple with the guy and then speed things up and go through the air. It was definitely my match of the week, but since you both picked that, I want to give some attention to Io Sherrera versus Shauncee Blackheart. Um, A, Shauncee Blackheart, I thought this was her biggest match to date. Uh, you know, the biggest spotlight she's had shined on her. I thought she did very well. I haven't been that big on her, so it was impressive to see her kind of mix it up. But the main thing that I keep getting from watching EO uh, over and over again here lately is I cannot wait for her to get to the main roster because we haven't seen EO face Bailey. We haven't seen EO face, you know, Sasha in singles matches. We hadn't seen EO face Charlotte or Becky Lynch or all these people in singles opportunities and she can really go in the ring and if they don't screw up her call up I think she's just another person you can add 
you know, with Oscar, Charlotte, Bailey, Sasha, like all of these really good women performers to where, I mean, we really are going to get to the point where the women's division, you could argue at the top is better than the men's division at the top. And I never thought I would ever say that much less in 2020. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, you had actually given that before I had a chance to watch that match. So I had actually went in really excited when it kicked off NXT. I mean, that entire match, with the exception of the fact that she kind of missed the spot on the moonsault, only catching her with, like, the bottom of her legs, everything else was perfect. I was completely blown away by the growth of Shotzi Blackheart. That um, uh, double underhook suplex into a pinning combination that she then turned into a um, into a finisher was, I thought, was phenomenal. I, I was very, very, I was more impressed with Shotzi than I ever had been. And, you know, we're already, I, I already, like, dug the character. I just thought it needed more depth or whatever. She brought the depth in the ring, and it was a really phenomenal match. Yeah, I'm, I actually would argue that already the ta- depth of talent, like, uh, for the women's division, it's one of those things where, like, my running joke about Lacey Evans continuing to get shots is that there's, the women's division is so good that, like, Vince is fetish for her. And I, I don't even think Lacey Evans is bad, per se. I just think she's green. And I think that there's a, just, yeah, I think there's so much talent in the women's division. I also, and I know this is a little thing, but I think Io Shirai has the best, some of the best music in the business. And not necessarily, like, it was one of those where initially I was like, this doesn't, I mean, okay, fine. It's great music, just not necessarily fitting. But now it's been so good for so long that I'm like, I hear that bass drop and I'm like, oh, that's Io Shirai. And it's something where I think fans are going to get behind it. Sort of like what you saw with Shinsuke when he got called up. And, you know, it was as much about, you know, that theme music uh, that they gave him. And and we've seen it with, you know, uh, Keith Lee here recently that, you know, it it can really upset people if you don't hit the you know the entrance music yeah. correctly um you know Bobby Roode's another guy that comes to mind that like he was really over when he got to the roster and it was mostly just because of his song you know I mean it was his intro that was really over not really the guy uh which is you know it shows the power of that you know because that of the marketing part of uh WWE the promo of the week I am so excited to give this to MJF I was so nervous uh like and I did. I got. I got. I got nervous. I doubted a little bit. AW. I doubted. I won't say I ever doubted him, but I doubted their direction with him. And uh, it scared me even going into the promo because it came down. It showed that singles win loss record of eight and one, and it said, you know, only loss was this last week to Dean Ambrose. And I'm going, why? Like, why would you make you know that the moment? And then he destroyed that dude. Got Wardlow to give him that mic. And then, like, he probably is the best promo in wrestling right now, which is crazy for a guy his age. Because I just – it was perfect. I mean, it was absolutely perfect. He started off by getting the fans mad by saying that, you know, 
I'm an honest guy. And the minute he said that, everybody started booing him. And then, you know, the way he kind of taunted him with the now, 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 let me speak, let me talk. Uh, and then, you know, to basically say that Moxley didn't earn the belt and that he is the un, you know, what is the uncrowned, uh, undisputed, you know, undisputed, yeah. uncrowned, uh, you know, champion. And then to make the ring announcer stand up there, say it with meaning. And then again, to end his promos, which I love, where I think he said, whether you like me or dislike me, I'm just better than you are. I mean, it was big because it shows that they still know what they have in him. And I'm coming around to, they realized it was too much too soon, but this was an introduction to him. And it gives him a little bit extra with his character moving forward because he was that close. Technically he got screwed or cheated and, you know, he didn't win the belt, but he will be back. They know what they have. And I'm just, I I have to like, I don't like to fawn over wrestlers if, you know, you can help it, but he is so freaking good on the mic. He just gets his character, the, you know, the facial expressions, the way he moves he just, he's healed. Like, and I honestly believe he is the most healed dude I've ever seen from the first time he came on the screen since like Ric Flair. Cause that's the way Ric Flair was back in the early, you know, NWA days. And in a lot of ways that made him cool and likable. And it's the same thing with MJF. And I think it's why most big wrestling fans, even though he's a heel, they like him because he's just, he's that good. Uh, and I'm, I'm very happy for that. Uh, Ronnell, what was your promo of the week? My promo was Bailey, but before I get to that, you're absolutely right with the MJF thing because I watched his match and I was wondering, I'm like, well, he comes out and breaks it. I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? And then they gave him the mic and it's like, okay, here we go. And man, did he deliver. I, I just absolutely love the fact that they didn't, that they're using this to still build him up. Yes, uh, maybe it was... Maybe you're right. Maybe it was too much too soon, even though I would have been quite ready for uh, an MJF championship. That was just, it was just really great work. But um, my promo of the week had to go to Bailey with just the way that she had came out, just sitting in a chair. She was really just, I, I, I can't even find the word to describe what it was. It was just, she was really just mocking and just it's some of her continues to put on fantastic heel work with you know I with I used you first like that was just there's not much more to say and she just kind of dropped the mic and walked out of the ring nope I don't need the fanfare I don't need nothing I did my job better than you did uh, I don't really know how much further I can really elaborate um, I was with Ronell. Um, I would one thing that I would like, uh, as I was thinking about it, is I would love to see uh, every like promo of Bailey's where she's a heel, like a, a picture in picture from Izzy's house. The girl who I don't know if you guys are familiar with Izzy. Oh yeah, she was the girl in Full Sail. Who, Izzy like, Mania. <laughs> yes, I just like and, and like because and it's to to piggyback off of Ronell's point it is kind of mind-blowing to me because like I the, the thing the the selling point of Bailey and 
NXT and, and like why she was so special was she was the most pure white meat sting baby face in a long time who was like actually supposed to be a good guy it was like Kurt Angle obviously but like no you weren't supposed to like Kurt Angle and for Bailey to be just I know like MJF is a great heel but having watched Bailey be such a great face I think she's the best heel in wrestling and between her Roman and MJF she's certainly the best female heel um and and I just yeah I thought that the promo where the whole the greatest thing with heels is they kind of have a point but they take it to the point where you're just like oh geez like yeah like you kind of have a point but like do you have to be such a dick about it and so like yeah like bailey who has been chronically backstabbed like that's the other thing about her nxt character is that like again the sting dna of the person who always gets stabbed in the back for her to then be like yeah i saw that coming dipshits like, it was great. It, like, I loved it. But, like, you know, did you have to hit her? Like, what is it? Like, did you have to pilmanize her neck? Like, geez. So, yeah, I thought it was a great promo. And just, like, the contempt and the anger that she had. Um, I, I think that Bailey, again, you know, that, that, that it's so impressive to me because her, her weak spot for, like, a lot of people, she's not great if she doesn't believe in the promo. And I thought that you know she can be awkward on the mic at times and she you know was it was it her that they did that this is your life with alexa bliss yeah. sorry really i've repressed yeah i've repressed really most bad. of that's most of that skid away um but yeah i mean so like she's capable and alexa bliss is usually untouchable on the mic uh but yeah bailey i thought killed it i thought that there was you know she really was just really got across the anger and the, and sort of the the righteous indignation that she needed. And I will I think she's the MVP of 2020 in wrestling. I don't think it's close. Uh partly because you know Roman was gone for forever. She's been champion the entire time. She's been carrying honestly a brand for, you know, periods. And I just want to say to Sasha Banks you're probably about to get your moment. You know, she has not been a champion. She hadn't had a run. This is probably leading up to that, and it's well-deserved. But she better bring her A-game because after Becky Lynch's run ended, I remember thinking, man, there won't be another woman be able to sort of captivate the, the world of wrestling to the level that she did to where she kind of becomes the story you know, in WWE for an extended period of time. And Bailey didn't even wait a year. And she's done the exact same thing. And for Sasha, like, it could go poorly. We know this. It can when there's a heel that people just love. And then you're the face that they decide to end that run or put them over on it. I just hope that they have a, you know, a good storyline ready. Sasha is ready to do some of her best work on the mic as a face because I do have a little worry that especially if crowds are back by the time this thing really gets going, you could see some turn against Sasha because she's the person that's sort of taking away the person that everybody loves. And that's what happened with Becky. You got to remember, she was supposed to be a heel and people just loved her. And so they tried to push it for about a month and then they just said, screw it. And Bailey has, I think, been able to get away with this because there's no crowd. And it's easy to forget that, that 
as this has continued to get better and better the last seven months, there hasn't actually been an audience there. Cause I think if there's an audience there, she's getting a lot of cheers right now. I think like by now she's the cool heel. And I just, again, it was an amazing promo. She's doing an amazing work and she is absolutely my MVP for 2020 in all of wrestling. Just a counterpoint and then a question, which is the, the counterpoint is, I think that part of why Becky was such an effective face, he was an ineffective heel and why the fans loved her. One, she had a point, um, you know, is that like Charlotte did come in and steal her, her shine. And I think that there was the sense among, you know, I, I think that the hardcore fans, the good people like, uh, like us, who might have boo, who cheered Charlotte at that SummerSlam are not the majority of the audience, but we're large enough that we drive so that the response, so if you have that like 15 to 20% that then is piggybacked on, I think that Sasha is beloved in a way and does not feel rightly or wrongly, I don't want, because I really like Charlotte Flair, overly forced. Uh, I think that, Char- that Sasha is more likely to, to not be booed. The question I have for you, do you think that they, this could main event WrestleMania? Uh, Sasha versus Bailey next year. I think, you think that should. could be. If they, if they hold it off till then, and that's the you know whether they take the title off of Bailey, they feud, and then the, as long as it's for the title, yes, I think those two have earned it. The problem is going to be you got a big dog named Roman Reigns who's in the biggest run of his career. There's rumors that The Rock and him have both discussed potentially going at it at WrestleMania. You've got, you know, potential of a big E, Roman Reigns, you know, title shot at WrestleMania. you got a potential of The Fiend coming back to get his title versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. That's the only thing that would concern me is if it wasn't for Roman Reigns and some potentially, like, really interesting storylines, yes, I would think it's going to main event, but I have a hard time thinking that's going to main event over, you know, Reigns, Big E, Reigns, you know, The Rock, Reigns, you know, even The Fiend, because The Fiend has earned this spot as well, uh, in my opinion, with the unbelievable work he's done. Yeah, and between them all, that would be hard, especially if that uh, Reigns-Rock happens. No way that anybody gets the the main event over that. Um, This totally could be a main eventer, but that that really depends on most all of those variables that keep just listening. The the one thing I actually just realized that sort of undercuts the point uh, is that if they do two nights of WrestleMania again, and that could be the way of having one. And they've I'm pretty sure, and I may be wrong, but I thought Triple H said that if like if it's his final decision, they're going to do this moving forward. Like that, it just it makes sense, you know. I do have, I understand the concerns. I don't know if it was you or Ron L that said afterwards that eventually one becomes the A night and the B night. And you have to really do a level booking with, you know, basically your two biggest matches main eventing each night and really not, you know, stacking one or the other for that to work, or it will get to where, you know, one's SmackDown on sci-fi and one's Raw <laughs> on USA. Because, I mean, that's honestly, that's what it's going to turn into. And it changes the performers and everything because it's like, oh, man, you know, I'm on Saturday, which is the, you know, the, the B show of WrestleMania. So that could be uh, definitely an issue. So the storyline that you need to pay attention to is the last thing, the last part we're going to go over. 
mine's probably going to confuse people because this is not the way we normally do this, but I got to give AEW a lot of credit. I got to give Chris Jericho a lot of credit. The last place I expected Chris Jericho to be going after his Orange Cassidy feud ended was teaming up with Hager and going after the tag team division. And it shows, and again, I don't know if this is AEW creative, if this is Jericho, but they understand what they have in Jericho. And if he can't be the champion, which he was for a long time, or if he can't be the main event, okay, what part of our wrestling divisions can he help the most? And by putting him in the tag team division, it's just going to make it more interesting. And it's already awesome because you have right now this Young Bucks FDR rivalry that we're getting really close to, and it's going to be great. And I think what's going to happen is whoever comes out on top of that, there's going to be Jericho and Hager waiting. And you can't tell me that's not going to get people fired up. To see Jericho and Jack Hager taking on the Young Bucks would be a big deal. To have Jericho and Hager taking on FTR would be a big deal. And again, I think it says a lot to Jericho and what, you know, he believes in this company that how many guys at, you know, his age and his place in a promotion would be like, okay, I've been your world champion. I've been basically, you know, the kind of the co-main event. Now I'm going to go do tag team. Uh, I'm very excited for this. I think it's a great play by AEW. I think WWE could take a page out of this book. This is one of the ways to help improve your tag team division. When you have a superstar that you don't really have a lot to do with them at the time, and they're not going to be in the championship picture, but they're a past champion, get them to team up with somebody and go after the tag belts. I mean, it makes sense. It at least gives them something to do. And eventually, I'm assuming if this ends up being something where they make a long run, eventually him and Hager are going to have a falling out. And then there's another, you know, battle down the line. It's Hager versus Jericho. I'm really on board for this, and I'm interested to see where it goes. So that's the storyline I'm, I'm interested in paying attention to. Ronnell, what's yours? I like that. Um, mine may not make a lot of sense, uh, especially considering what happened, but I'm. where are we going to go with the Raw Women's Championship? Um, I've seen some people referring to what just happened with Oscar and Mickey James as the Monday Night Screwjob. Because, I, I mean, you watch that match, and I was wondering, like, what the heck? But, like, when you really look at it, Mickey was really gassed. Like, she didn't hit that last uh, kick. Like, it wasn't even nowhere remotely near it. And Oscar just kind of sold it. Like, oh, it was a grazing blow, but it got her. But what are they going to do with my girl Oscar right now? Like, who is going to step up and be the next one really taking a shot. I mean, are we going to be looking at Natalia? Because quite honestly, that was not going to be... She's coming back, Ronnell. You're going to get Charlotte Oscar soon. I, I, I believe that. That To me, that's the answer, is that's where we're going. Uh, please. Because then you will have two women's titles um, for WrestleMania that can easily be in that co-main event spot. Uh, to, to piggyback on that, I, I have, I mean, Charlotte's coming back. She and Asuka always have bangers. I would like to see Asuka finally go over Charlotte. I feel like Charlotte always, beg pardon? No, I was just saying please. (laughs) Yeah. Like, guys, can, can, can we, uh, can, can we please just like once let her kick the football? 
It's, um, it's where we're heading. I, I really believe this is part of Asuka's, you know, redemption tour. The, if, if you will, is, you know, she got over Sasha. She beat Bailey, even though it wasn't, you know, technically for the title. Uh, and I think that eventually you're going to have Charlotte come. And to me, if they're smart, Asuka would be the first person. If Becky Lynch says coming back in the middle of 2021 or near the end of it, that would be who I'd want her, you know, feuding with is have Asuka still have her belt. They had that nice moment, but then you have the man coming back to reclaim what is hers. And, you know, the Empress of Tomorrow has got her mojo back. And I just, I think it would be a great storyline. Uh, yeah. Uh, my my storyline of the week uh, is the NXT title picture. Um, I guess Finn is a heel, question mark? Like, that promo felt very heelish. Um I listen. The, the the degradation of NXT in the last year has been one of the biggest disappointments for me. As somebody like I know RC sitting here like doing the Birdman hand rub, but I mean, and I, I mean, and, and maybe you know some of it is I will take that if the main roster shows are going to be better, you know NXT. You know I don't know why NXT has to not be as good, but here we are. But yeah, I'm interested to see who Finn feuds with. I'm interested to see who the five man gauntlet is. Um, I'm, I'm just, you know, and, and I, I would love to see him have a banger match. You know, I, I hope that they, like, that's really all I care about with NXT. Who do you think, so. who would you want it to be? If he's a heel, what face guy on NXT right now would you want challenging him at the next takeover? Uh, I kind of want them to do the Adam Cole, like, let them do the Bullet Club thing or Balor Club, whatever, <laughs> like the 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 Ursats Bullet Club with uh with undisputed era, uh with Balor and Cole, um. But they, you know, they just did that for the title. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Gargano. I mean, I Gargano's a heel. The problem is, I mean, who is a main event level face in the NXT right now? Yeah, well, that, yeah, exactly, exactly. Are we maybe seeing the end of, or at least more so, of, you know, traditional heel faces to where they're just no. trying, because you don't think so? Because to me, it no. seems like they're really starting to let more people just sort of be the character that is, you know, what's strongest suited to them. Um, and, you know, it's probably wishful thinking. I'm not saying you're doing completely away with heels and faces, but... It just, to me, it seems like there's a lot more tweener behavior by all kinds of, you know, characters on the roster here, it seems like in the last four or five months, where it's, you know, like, who's the face, who's the heel in this? Like, I remember the Strowman, you know, Fiend deal, where really neither one of them have had a true turn. I mean, right? I mean, other than just Strowman's just said some bad words and threw Alexa Bliss in the air, uh, and, you know, the Fiend's not really done anything to say he's a face either. They're just kind of, you know, letting their guys be what they are. I think they wanted to make Strowman more of a monster and the Fiend be the Fiend. Reigns is obviously back as a heel. But, again, other than just showing up late for matches and being smarter than everybody else, what has Reigns really done that's heel like? Keith Lee, Drew McIntyre. Keith Lee, Drew, there you go. Because, uh, I mean, it was hard to tell who they were playing as the face there they're both taking cheap shots they're both you know uh which is something we didn't even talk about but i just i wonder if we're sort of getting a, a little bit of a tweak on that and maybe they've realized that 
the most interesting Finn Balor character if he's not going to be the demon, which it appears that they finally learned that, like, we need to use that for special circumstances and we need to build him up without the demon because, you know, it kind of became a Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type deal that, you know, this the Prince character, which I don't know as well as I know you guys do, but he was always a heel, right? And New Japan and stuff is that character. Uh, so <laughs> there's actually kind of a funny story about that. So his name is, uh, his real name is Fergal. That's his first name is Fergal Devitt. Um, and uh, he was like, yeah, the Japanese couldn't pronounce that. <laughs> so he became Prince Devitt. And he was a face for a long time. And that was kind of why the Bullet Club worked, was okay. that they did very traditional heel stuff. And then they got over his cool heels. Um, I think that somewhat – so – do I, I was very quick to, to shut down, like, no, I don't think they're doing away with traditional face and heels. I think what we're seeing is more three-way feuds. So what we saw with Strowman, Braun, Fiend was a, tri- a triple turn. Roman turned heel, Fiend turned face, Braun went tweener. And then you, what you have with Keith Lee, uh, McIntyre, Orton, is Orton's the heel – Lee's the face and McIntyre is sort of the tweener. Uh, and I think that is what we're, that's more what we're seeing than a tr- move away from that sort of traditional thing. Um, I, I don't know if in NXT we're going to see a pure face challenge uh, Finn. I just don't know who that would be. And do you think NXT is at its best when they're just giving bangers, like why not just if you're going to have Finn Balor, who we know can go in the ring, not why not let him feud with Johnny Gargano? Why not let him feud with Ciampa? Why you know what I mean? Let him go against guys that we know he can have these good if matches. It's with. Match. Yeah, even if it's not the greatest storyline in the world. I know for me, what first attracted me to NXT was the matches were always really good. Uh, and, you know, they tell their stories in the ring more than out of the ring, where in WWE, it, a lot of times, unfortunately, it's the other way around. The, the I think NXT is its best. Like, NXT always did a really good job of acknowledging its history and building, and that the matches were good and part of that emotional investment. Like, Bailey Sasha is always, to me, going to be sort of the pinnacle of that, where it, it was, okay, it's cool. Like, it was a great match, but it was also a great match because there was, like, two years of build and you had two years of story. Bailey had always in. lost in that moment, right? She had always yeah. been short. And, and it was funny when you mentioned the redemption to her, because in the run up to that match with Sasha, Bailey beat Becky and Charlotte. And that's sort of the story. And part of why Asuka was so dominant was when she came in, she marked Bailey. And I think that that's when NXT is at its best, when it's, it builds these characters over long periods of time and has these relationships where they, you know, they add to the story and the match is the culmination of it. Um, I would, I actually would be excited for Finn versus like a pure baby face Finn versus Ciampa. Is there anything that we miss guys? Not to my knowledge. Nothing of note. All right, so we made it through another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast. Before we get out of here, Ron, I'll start with you. You got anything you want to plug, big man? Uh, absolutely. Uh, HarvestCreditors.com. Um, if you have any problems with your credit score, you want to just get it up, uh, 
get in contact with me, official Ronald Tinsley on Instagram, Ronald Tinsley on Facebook. Uh, mention Team Turnbuckle, Team Turnbuckle Podcast, and save yourself $100 on activating your services. Oh, I like that. Uh, Sam? Uh, I'm going to plug uh, Team Turnbuckle, the podcast that we're doing right now, obviously. <laughs> Uh, IBN Sports, I would definitely plug the uh, All-Star, as I do every week. It is uh, $5 a a month, pays for itself. I love, you know, the ability of somebody who is a control freak and was the youngest child. I like not having any oversight to what I post, so I can post whatever I want, within reason, obviously. Um, But it it pays for itself for that. I want to plug the Twitter account. Uh, Team Turnbuckle Podcast. Uh, my Twitter account is my is s how six ten h o u g h s h o u g h six ten. I would like to plug uh, the Steel Ring Post as I usually do, which is the With Spandex Orphans webpage. Uh, there is a Discord group for that, uh, which you can join through there. Uh, it's great for the live shows they do. Uh, live threads for Ross uh, and AEW, SmackDown, and the network events, which a lot of funny people, uh, if you love The Simpsons, there are a lot of Simpsons wrestling memes on those. That's where I made my bones. You need to be sure so, to uh, share that to the, the Team Turnbuckle. Uh, some I of those, will. those live links and stuff. Because I think I a will. lot of people don't know about that, and that'd be great to do. Um, Before you get to that last plug, I just wanted to just shout out Aaron Moody for um, actually sharing my wrestler on the slide because he had shared the article about Braun Strowman being the headliner on Raw Underground. Um, Really appreciate all you guys in the Team Turnbuckle podcast group, man. You guys are freaking amazing. Uh, Thank you so much for everything you guys bring. Completely agree. Uh, I love the interaction and all the people that are active in the group. Uh, finally, I just want to plug uh, a few of the podcasts I'm on this week. We had the backdoor cover. We did our U.S. Open preview, which started today. Uh, not to pat myself on the back, but I have Patrick Reed at 33 to one. He's four under, two back. Uh, I have Lee Westwood at three under. I had him at 125 to one to win, 12 to one to top 10, and six to one to top 20 and he is tied fifth right now so that is a good start and then I also have Louis Oosterhuizen who is three under uh he is at 75 to one to win he is tied fifth as well and then Xander Shoffley is two under I had him 16 to one to win so uh we will find out how the gambling gods will break my heart over the next three days but I'm in a very good position uh after day one to hopefully win some cash for myself and our listeners uh, we also started a fantasy football podcast uh, this week, me and Joe Matz. The first episode went up last night. We are going to every week go over some of our favorite plays for daily fantasy, where we're going to uh, pick probably three guys each from each position, starting at the top salaries, one in the middle salary, and one of the lower salary. So it will help you not only just with daily fantasy, but also in your fantasy football leagues if you want to pick up guys, because obviously the lower salary guys are usually not – Uh, owned by all teams and you can pick them up and then finally we will be doing another backdoor cover tonight because on Thursday nights now we're going to do a live feed uh, that'll start here shortly with me and Alan where we go through the entire NFL slate of games so uh, excited about that the other two things just really quickly as I've already told RC we're going to do a Cobra Kai televangelist if you have not seen it it's really good like I just want to say my wife made fun of me for watching it the other night 
and I told her it kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, but I, I've really enjoyed it. I love how they show or like throw the story kind of upside down. Your, your good guy, bad guys are constantly, you know, kind of swapping on your opinion. It's, a, it, it's some of the fighting is corny, but the storytelling is actually really good, I think. Uh, and then me and Sam are absolutely going to do a podcast on the boys when season two ends, it's probably both of our favorite shows on TV right now. A new episode. Favorite show that's currently airing. I think I, I, I can't throw it above Better Call Saul. Yeah, but uh, Better Call Saul is not airing right this second. I consider correct, it like right? what is on TV right now. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I'll give, I'll, I'll give you that. Well, let's go with that. Um, the uh, uh, Yeah, and uh, we also, just not to, to take over, uh, we also have the upcoming Nostalgia podcast about uh, the Hogan-Savage feud, which I am very excited to talk about with you guys. Um, very excited. And I, I think I finally figured out the format. Uh, we can discuss that after we get off the air, but that will be coming. We will get that done before the end of September. I know we've been promoting that for a month. Uh, my goal is to shoot it next week. So, But for all of that, we want to say this has been another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Podcast on the Ivy Sports Podcast feed. We really appreciate you guys listening. We will put this up immediately, share it in the Team Turnbuckle group and on Facebook and Twitter. And we will see you guys next week with more of our takes and discussing the uh, superlatives for the week of wrestling. Hardest working man in podcast, Keith Fleming. Trying to be. <laughs>